0: Well, hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one-man view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday. October the 12th, 2022. This is episode 3181 of the Survival Podcast. And I have a special guest that I'll have on with us in just a moment. Her name is Jeannie Tatum. She's uh, doing something I think is really cool. She's actually doing sustainable real estate development as a side hustle. And she has a very unique approach to the way she's doing this. And she's here to talk to you about how anyone could go out and do this too. Now, I, I, whenever I hear that, I'm always like, "Wait a minute, we need to clarify what what that means." Any would co- anyone could doesn't mean everyone will, or even many people will. It means anyone can. And the way you know that that something is a thing that anyone can do is that a normal person, you know, not some super genius, you know, like tesla level guy or something but a regular everyday person goes out and does it and is able to do it and that doesn't mean it's easy but it does mean it's doable and there's so much talk in this community when i say this community i don't just mean the survival podcast i mean preppers i mean permaculturists i mean regenerative ag types i mean pushback against the global elite types. I mean the whole damn extended community of communities. There's nothing more that I hear about more than we need a community. We need a sustainable community. We need to have a place where we can all go and we grow and blah 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 and get everybody together. And there's there's a thousand million uh, units, let's say, of talk for every one unit of do. And there's a lot of reasons for it. But I think I, I really think um, what Genie's onto here is a replicatable model because, rather than fighting the system, it works within the system. It's very much a status jujitsu methodology, and I'm going to use that to kind of pimp tomorrow's show a bit. So tomorrow I'm going to talk about status jujitsu. I'm thinking about calling tomorrow's episode a masterclass in status jujitsu. And there's, there's a new rule out from the Biden administration, and this has nothing to do with Biden, really. And this isn't political. This is just a new rule uh, that they're mulling around within the Department of Labor to, re, to do what California has done at a state level, which is to reclassify things so that many people right now who qualify as contractors won't because they need the protection of the state. And there's a lot of people that like being contractors. I mean, I know that we're supposed to believe that everybody wants to be an employee, but there's a lot of people that like being contractors and like flexibility. And, of course, they're, they're, they're using things like Uber and Lyft and Uber Eats and DoorDash and all to show how this could be a really problem, but then they say it's going to hurt small businesses. So Uber and Lyft and all are not small businesses. I don't think this will impact them. It might, but there's such an easy, creative way around this. And I'm going to talk about that and some other things, and maybe some things that are stimulated in this conversation tomorrow about how we need to start thinking differently, how we need to truly embrace the permaculture principle of the problem is the solution. But like Jeff Lawton says, if, you, if you're not careful with that, the problem can be the problem, and even worse if we, if we don't use it right. But a lot of times I think people are impaired from proceeding in life, because they think they just can't because somebody said no. There's a lot of ways around that. We'll be talking about that today and tomorrow both in two totally different ways before I get genie on. Well, let's go ahead and talk about our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today. You you really need to be thinking about building wealth right now. This is a time when everybody's freaked out about a coming global recession. I said yesterday, and this is true, the... the, the uh, The United Nations has formally blamed the United States Federal Reserve for the coming recession. The parasites are attacking each other. And what people do is they think about, oh, this is a terrible time. These periods of flux are when fortunes are built. And if you want to know how to to manage and protect your wealth, you need to go over to wealthsteading.com and listen to the advice that you'll get from John Pugliano. John is a great guy, amazing podcaster. He's also a wealth manager. Right, An investment manager, not a financial liar. And I've been working with John one way or another since we first met back in 2010 in Salt Lake City, Utah at a Prepper convention where I didn't know this, but he scoped me out to see if I was the same guy in real life as I was on the air. And he told me after he stood there and listened to me talk to people for 30 minutes, he decided he wanted to work with me. And uh, I I really have enjoyed that relationship. I really recommend you guys check out wealthsitting.com. Remember, John is on the Fountain app, reluctantly. Please consider boosting him or streaming to him when you listen to his show on Fountain.fm or any podcasting 2.0 app. Next up today is ButcherBox. ButcherBox was a company that came to me when they were pretty small. They weren't very big yet. They weren't advertising on network television or anything like that. They reached out and said, hey, do you want to work with us? And we had to go round and round because what they wanted was an affiliate relationship, which quite honestly at this point would have probably made me a lot more money having an affiliate relationship than a direct sponsorship. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to reach out and I wanted to create a partnership that would be long term with them and I wanted it to benefit my members. So what I've gotten from them for my members is you get ten dollars off every month of your box of meat. Now I'm gonna tell you something about that approach and why it works. And this is about understanding the power of relationships and you know status jiu-jitsu that we're gonna talk about tomorrow. They last. Right now, there is no place that gives a discount on an ongoing basis with Butcher Box, except the Survival Podcast. Because we built that relationship the right way. Instead of trying to take, we went to give back. They have continuously supported my events with extra food and stuff like that. They're an amazing company. Pastured uh, pork, pastured poultry, and grass-fed beef delivered to your door like having your own personal shopper. Lo- the other thing about them, guys, they don't pay me in money. Well, what do they pay you in? Bitcoin now? They pay me in meat. I don't take any dollars from ButcherBox. Every month, a box shows up my house full of meat, and we eat it, and we stock our freezer with it. Think about how good their quality must be if I'm going to take meat as payment versus money as payment. Because, you know me, I like money. Anyway, um, before I go ahead and bring uh, Gene on, I, I want to... Uh, Again, remind you guys that this podcast sounds better on a podcasting 2.0 app like fountain.fm and I'm going to have a, a, a something that a lot of you are going to be really interested in buying from me that I'm going to announce either this weekend or on Monday morning. It's going to be very limited in quantity. It's something that we did a long time ago and I still have many of them, but they're not available. They're made out of metal special metal and there's only going to be like 10 of them available they're going to come with kind of a handwritten note of thank you but we're going to game the system a little bit on fountain fm in order to order one of these for me you're going to have to have a fountain.fm account you're going to have to have it funded and you're going to pay me by boosting the show because we're going to knock Adam Curry off that perch he's been sitting on, occupying the top three places in the fountain support apps, and pushing me always down to number four number five. Now, we fell off a lot during the Rewind Week. We're climbing back up those charts. But I want to take that crown for at least a week. And I think I have a cool way where everybody wins. So uh, I'm just going to say we have to dig into uh, a hole in the ground to uh, procure this particular item, but if you've been holding out on getting involved in podcasting 2.0, you want an opportunity here, now would be the time. You're also going to need a way to fund your fountain wallet, so Cash App or Strike will do that. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and uh, get into today's episode, Sustainable Real Estate Development as a Side Hustle, and with that, hey, Jeannie, I want to say thank you for joining us today on the Survival Podcast. And with that, hey, Jeannie, welcome to the Survival Podcast.
1: Hello, thanks for having me on.
0: I, I was really excited when I got your app uh, to be on the air because the the subject is something we talk a lot about in the preparedness community, the permaculture community, the regenerative agriculture community. I, I said in my intro today that we probably talk about it with a thousand units for every one unit of doing. So someone actually doing it, uh, that's 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 something exciting to me that I want to talk about. Can we start out with a little bit about your background though? Where you know, go back to when you space it out in school and figuring out what to do with your life and kind of what has your professional life been up till now and how does it lead you to the place where you want to do sustainable, uh, real estate development? Wow.
1: Well, um, back in school, I was mostly in the principal's office, um, uh, most of my childhood. Um, <laughs> uh, my parents were older. They were from a different generation, probably your grandparents' generation. So my parents were born in the late 1920s, early 30s. Spent their childhood kind of similar but different. My dad grew up on a really big working farm. My grandfather ran a farm for a mill community, and he fed about 700 people from this farm. He used the Carver small farm model, which is um, I've learned a little more about. I never got to meet my grandfather. I wish I could ask him some of these questions, but... They had livestock, they had produce, they had everything a small community of mill people would would need to survive, and he ran that during the 30s and the 40s during the war and up into the 50s. So my dad grew up in this situation where he had to do a lot of farm chores. He loved working in the garden. He did not like working with livestock, especially hated chickens. Um, my mom grew up In a very different setting. She's from a mean group of a little tribe of Scottish people up in East Tennessee and grew up. Her mother died when she was younger. She was raised by some grandparents who were really mean. So she wanted to get away from the farm and never go back. So when I was a kid, I wanted, you know, I mentioned a couple of times, I want to be a farmer. My dad is like, no, there's so much work involved in that. You don't, you don't Mm. know what you're getting into and you'll be poor and Mm. Um, my uncle was still farming full time and, you know, had no livestock because it's cheaper to buy your eggs at the store. Um, he was, he got out of the, all, I mean, my grandfather built a dairy farm on his retirement farm. Grand, you know, uncle didn't want anything to do with that. My dad really didn't want anything to do with the land. He joined the army when he was a younger person, served in Korea and, was one of the youngest infantry company commanders in Korea, so he wow. wanted to, he really wanted to, nothing to do with the farm. And, but he always had a big garden and everywhere we lived, we lived a lot of different places because he retired from the military when I was younger and became a full-time Southern Baptist minister. So. And if you hear salty vocabulary from me here, people just understand ministers <laughs> kids are like that. <laughs> I work in the army. So, yeah, you know, yeah, I work for the army yeah. now. I'm a civilian, but, uh, yeah. So always grew up helping in the garden. He was very much into, you know, technology and through, through, through chemicals, um, loved his seven dust and his, um, always, there's always a lot of weeding going on. It just seemed like really hard work. And I guess, you know, we moved up to Kentucky when I was about 13. I ended up um, in a performing arts school. Turns out I'm a very good singer and got told by everybody, you need to do this for a living. And got a lot of scholarships to go to college. Ended up in Nashville, Tennessee, um, studying commercial music and got arrested this was the critical turning point for me. Got arrested for stealing a police officer's hat right off of her head at a concert. So the warrant said. What actually happened is we had some people in the backseat who had to get out. And it's the Elton John concert. All right. Okay. It's not anything off the, of, you know. we yeah. Some dude I knew got free tickets. And we're in the front seat of this Mustang with this guy. And the people in the back seat needed to get out. Traffic stopped. So we opened the door. And there's a cop's hat laying on the ground with a badge on it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, good citizen. We should turn this in. Wow. Well, traffic is kind of stopped and there's a cop up at the next intersection. We'll just turn it into him because it's obviously lost. And as soon as we get this hat in the car, this lady cop comes up and starts banging on the hood of this 65 Mustang with a flashlight screaming, Give me the goddamn hat. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, give her, give her the goddamn hat, you know, and the driver is like, the driver's like, oh no, she's banging on the hood of my Mustang. This is not cool. I want your name and your badge number. I'm like, Russ, just give her the hat. Just give her the hat. No, I want your name and your badge number. And she says, it'll be on the warrant you get in the mail. And I'm like, they send warrants in the mail. What? (laughs) So we end up, um, I ended up getting arrested and having to go to jail. They, it took them about two weeks to actually trick us into coming in and seeing about the warrant. Don't do that. Yeah, Don't yeah. come in and see about the warrant, people. Yeah. So we end up, I end up in jail. It's on a Thursday afternoon and in this holding cell with me is a prostitute and an old lady who didn't pay about a hundred traffic tickets. And the okay. prostitute is explaining to me a college student who said civics in high school and intro to government and all this. She's explaining to me how to get bail how the system works and she's being very nice and she's, she's teaching me and this old lady how to, how this works. And I was sitting there thinking at the moment, I should know, I should know this stuff. You know, I should be better than this. I should know this. So long story longer, I got bailed out and my dad bailed me out and the charges ended up getting dismissed because she technically is not supposed to seize the driver's license of a passenger. That's what, cause the charges to get dismissed so but how to keep my you know how to keep myself safe from this kind of thing so I was a music major didn't really like my classes loved my humanities classes ended up changing my major which hey they take your music scholarship when you when you do that it's not like playing basketball or football so I had to find a job I got a job ironically at campus police and went through a whole lot of uh, SWAT takedown methods classes and had to wrestle with drunks and ended up working for the sheriff's department on an internship. This is also a long story longer, but it was a wake-up call and it taught me, I ended up, you know, taking ROTC classes, um, ended up going to the Army. So that was, I still had this thing in my mind, though, that, I need to be able to grow food, and I can if I have to. So ended up in the Army and on a totally different track. But, yeah, school did not a lot for me
0: <laughs> to, yeah, got you. Yeah. To,
1: to prepare me for life and what can happen to you, but
0: and, and getting you arrested this, did. You do come at this with a preparedness mindset as well, and looking at your history and your age, I, I have to imagine that Desert Storm probably impacted your life as it did mine because we're very similar age we, both joined the Army. Um, did Desert Storm teach you anything about preparedness?
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um So I'm a young lieutenant. I, I ended up and just, you know, words of wisdom to anybody considering joining the military. If there's something you're interested in doing, enlist. Don't be an officer because being an officer is a crapshoot. You'll end up in something like maintenance. So yeah. I was a maintenance platoon leader. Now you were in a maintenance Platoon, I understand in, um, Central America. So we probably know a lot of the same people,
0: but yeah, I was, was a, LSE logistical support element a detachment. Yeah.
1: Well, I ended up a maintenance platoon leader in Germany and I had a real weird platoon. They had an engineer mechanics. I had, and so I had an engineer support team. I had some signal mechanics who are just wonderful people who are all studying for college in their spare time and don't get into trouble. But the engineers, they they require a lot of time and effort. And I had some generator mechanics as well. So we're not supposed to deploy anywhere in Germany. We're supposed to drive over to a BMW factory on the border when the balloon goes up and set up a maintenance shop. Well, that didn't happen. We ended up getting deployed and one of my additional duties was unit movement officer, and nobody knows how to move this equipment from point A to point B. We've never railheaded anything. We don't know how to do this. So we had to figure out not only how to measure the equipment, but how to weigh the equipment. Because maintenance companies, they do all kind of specialized things to their equipment. They modify all sorts of things. They'll build a shop van on the back that's not standard. and So we had to get that equipment into the theater, and it required a lot of um, figuring things out for me. But I did a good job at losing equipment on the way over there. And it taught me, you know, just because they tell you this is your mission, things can change. World events can change quickly. And you have to be able to figure it out. And I figured it out, and I did okay. So we're in theater. We're staying at, like, a, a place called Cement City. Some of your listeners will probably remember this place. It was a building area in an old cement factory. And we were there um feeling crummy we don't had our vaccines and we all you know feel feel bad and I ended up one of my other additional duties was the quick reaction force lead so I ended up being on the advance party out to where our site was actually going to be and when you're in you know Riyadh Riyadh looks like a like you'd expect Saudi Arabia look, it looks, you know, it's very sandy, it's you see some camels, you see some people wearing um tablecloths on their head. Um it's like you expect the desert to look like. When we drove out to our it was about a a six hour convoy on the one road in that country out to where we were gonna be. And when we got there, it looks like the surface of Mars. I yeah. mean, it's yeah. just flat and
0: yeah. Nothing. Flat
1: red ground with cracks in it, and there's like one tree out there.
0: Yeah,
1: one, <laughs> and it's a little juniper bush. And I guess what it, it sort of planted a seed in my head that would not wake up until years later is that all of us are attracted to this bush. Like everybody wants to go to this bush and pee, <laughs> and everybody wants to go to this bush and and hang out. Let's set our tent up over there. I'm like, no, let's not. Let's set our, you know. We have to set our tent up where they told us to, which turns out it's a floodplain, by the way. It's not a great yeah. place to set up a tent. So the company gets out there about two weeks later, and and still, everybody is attracted to this one little tree. Um, I was out driving to a detail one day with my driver, and there's a bunch of camels, and I've not seen camels. So we stopped to take pictures of camels because, oh my gosh, camels. And... I actually saw a camel give birth right out in front of us. We thought it had just laid down and died, and I thought, oh, my gosh, maneuver damage. Somebody's going to charge me for this camel. I didn't kill the camel, I swear. But then this little (laughs) baby camel jumps up and runs away, and it runs straight over to that little tree. Meanwhile, my driver says, man, i got to pee, so I'm going to go over to that tree. (laughs) He goes over to that tree to pee, and there's a dude in a hole in the ground in a ghillie suit saying, man, it's bad enough all these camels pee on me. Why do you have to come over here and pee on me? So, a couple weeks later, um, meanwhile, the rainy season starts and a bunch of people's tents fall down because we're set up in a floodplain, which is kind of funny. The colonel's tent was the first to fall down. And um, that's just fun. But I had to take my engineer support team up north to an even more remote area um, because that's where the engineers are. And they're getting ready to do the breach. And we have to get all their equipment ready to do the breach. So, I move up there to the middle of nowhere. Me and a warrant officer and some some dudes. And I learned, you know, there's we don't bring porta potties with us in this situation. And we're just Humvees and the fighting deuce and aft with the 50 mount on the top. And yep. that's all. So and some shop stuff. And we're supposed to be relieved by some National Guard company in a few weeks. They're going to be there. So we're not set on permanent camp. Well, Soldiers start coming up to me and one of them says, hey, where are we supposed to take a crap? And I'm like, well, I take a crap right over that little hill over there. That's a good place for me, but you know, holler before you go over there. Yeah. If you see me with my poncho on, you know, don't, don't talk to me. Yeah. So, um, cause that's how we do that. <laughs> that's how the females roll. We put on a poncho and do that. So it's our own little portable potty that we carry around with us so nobody can see us. So months later, months later, it's like summertime. Now, this was like winter when we were up there doing that. It wasn't terribly cold. Months later, I go back to this place, and now they built a log base there. It's a big log base, and our quartermaster unit's there, so I have to go there and get parts. And I look, and I knew where we were before because it was the high ground because I was the first person in there, so I picked the best spot, which was high ground that overlooked everything and the border, and I could see get good visibility. I come in there a few months later and it's summer. It's like 150 degrees outside, you know, and I look over there and there's all these plants growing where we had pooped and peed in this little spot
0: in the middle of nowhere. Yeah.
1: And it planted seed in my greening the desert with Jeff Lawton and it made perfect sense. I'm like, Oh my, all that place needed was a little nitrogen. All that place needed was a little carbon.
0: Yeah. And
1: still, you know, I saw greening the desert years ago um, and I was in no position then to act on it. But it still it planted that seed and things happened in the meantime. Like we went through a really bad hurricane in North Carolina. Um, my ex-husband had just gotten out of um, off active duty. He was in going to grad school and we lived in student housing. And I had just been out to my parents place to fill up to help with canning season and fill up the trunk with, you know, produce and take back to the other students. And we get this hurricane called Fran and it literally blew down every tree in North Carolina. I mean, it had rained for about two weeks before the wind started blowing. The trees all fell down and there was no access. We had no road access for probably two weeks. We couldn't get in and out and we had no power. And of course we have to boil the water with what? Everybody's propane ran out after a couple of days. Nobody has yeah. charcoal. And I had this cool little thing called a charcoal starter. And like you you start coals in to put on your grill. Yeah. We just happened to have one. And you can burn damn near anything in that thing, I learned. Yep. Um, you
0: can burn. It's a little mini rocket stove, basically. Yeah, it's, it's a little mini are. rocket
1: stove. So there's all these fallen trees everywhere and punky wood laying around. And I would just put that punky wood in there and put some junk mail on the bottom of it and light it. And I could boil a stock pot of water. I could, um, I could cook. I could make coffee and all the neighbors start coming over and saying, how, how does that work? How do you do that? I says, here's how it works. You get this five gallon bucket, and go out in the woods and bring me some of that punky wood and I'll show you how it works. Yeah. So I was boiling water for a lot of people. And I mean, we had two babies at the time. I was having to boil diapers. I was having to, yeah, I cook in that same pot, but you know, you boil it. <laughs> so <laughs> you boil it. Sorry.
0: Right.
1: And and it was a wake up call because i had food i had just been to the farm i'd made a bunch of baby food um there was a lo- enough food for us and it taught me i need to be prepared for this it didn't teach me i need to be prepared for everything but it taught me i need to be prepared for a power outage so i know how yeah. to do that and um so i guess that's i guess that's a yeah. uh, a well, long way around.
0: To, it points to what I call commonality of disaster, right? So the, the idea that you're going to prepare for this event or that event is really, it's like saying, you know the thing that the universe is going to surprise you with. Which oh, yeah. You know, That's up, <laughs> up there with tell God your plans. You, you don't. Make them laugh, right? Like, <laughs> oh, okay, I see how that works. Like, so the commonality is we deal without water, food, shelter, comfort items, medical care, <laughs> outside assistance, right, monetary shortages, inability to procure things either because we don't have money or because the things aren't there. And it's the same. It doesn't matter the disaster. It's always the same things because humans have about six primary needs. So we prepare to deal with the loss of those six primary needs, and then, you know, you can still get hit by a nuclear bomb, and it doesn't matter, or get run over by a gravel truck, and you're just as dead. But otherwise, if you're still breathing and functional, you can probably figure stuff out. And that's what you had was, and more than stuff you had, you had knowledge. Like, I wonder how many people were sitting in that same situation. They had a charcoal starter. They had punky wood laying all over the place. They didn't understand that if they just stuck it in there and lit it, that they would have this, you know, very intense flame that will boil water fast. That's, you know, and like, as soon as you said, I'm like, yeah, they're like a, they're like a miniature rocket stove, not quite as efficient, but they work on the same principle of channeling air. But with with all of this in your background, how does this quest for preparedness, this interaction with nature, observe and interact with nature type thing, how does that lead you to real estate development?
1: Well, um, being an Army wife. So I left active duty um, right after Desert Storm because they weren't super happy with the idea of me having a family. I mean, you had still had Sergeant Major's running around telling people, we didn't issue you a kid. I mean, yeah, I saw a, I I saw a captain hand her three-week-old baby over to strangers to get on a plane to go to the desert. And I'm like, ah, that can't be me. Yeah. So I did want to have a family while I was still in my 20s. The Army was discouraging women to have babies in their 20s. So, like, your career comes first, and you need to have babies after the captain's course or after – You go to the majors course or, you know, I'm like, I don't want to be like 50 having a kid. You know, I want them gone by the time I'm 50. So I started, um, my ex was still on active duty then. He ended up leaving active duty for a while to go to school and he came back on after 9-11. But being an army wife and having to move and having to buy a house, um, I learned some things about buying real estate. Um, kind of like a happy accident, um, the first house we bought was right here at Fort Gordon, Georgia, and we bought it for, you know, what we could afford, and the post was growing. I didn't really track it or realize it at the point, but the point, the Fort Gordon had been what, what you call bracked, which is base realignment and closure, and they've been bracked for growth. So when we sold the house, we made money. Now, I love to do landscaping, so I made the yard look great. Um, I painted it. Uh, we Swapped out some appliances. We made the house a little more valuable, but we walked away with 20,000 bucks. And I'm like, well, that was what I would have made if I were working full time because I was staying home with four kids at that point and I was not working full time and married to a a captain who worked part of the time, you know, so he was, he was in the reserves then and they worked, he worked on and off. So we were always hurting for money, um, but that $20,000 was great and he spent it. He just spent it in six months. It was gone. And so I didn't get the benefit of rolling it into the next property. But the next property comes along. He's making a little more money now. He's a major. 9-11 had happened. So he was back on active duty all the time. And we moved down to Fort Stewart and bought a house. And... Wow, it, it happened again. You know, we bought this house. We put a little bit of effort into it. The base was expanding rapidly around there and housing wasn't keeping up. So when we sold that house, we walked away with $40,000. And I'm like, this is great. Yeah. So I think we did manage to pay off a credit card or two and get out of debt at that point. Um, He was on a deployment, so he couldn't spend anything. Um, Marriage is in because of money and infidelity. In our case, that was both. So he was... At that point, you know, I'm like, wow, we have all this money. And then again, in about six months, it was gone. So, but I'm learning. I'm learning about, there's this thing called base realignment and closure. And if you pick the right, so I was thinking at that point about getting divorced very strongly because of the infidelity and the money. and But I had nowhere to go. I had a political science degree. I hadn't worked in, you know, maybe eight, ten years at that point, And... A political science degree is useful in some cases, but you kind of need a graduate degree to go with it if you're going to make money. And my military experience, I figured I should probably work for the Army. There were some jobs at Fort Stewart that I could have done that I could that ended up not being able to do because we moved. Um, I started planning for my next job and his follow on assignment was supposed to be he did a little short tour in Korea and. His following assignment was supposed to be Fort Bragg, so we're building a house at Fort Bragg, and I got to work with the builders and learn about what can go wrong with that, and halfway through that, his orders changed. We had to go right back to Fort Stewart, So, but again, base realignment and closure. Fort Bragg was growing, so they were happy to give me my earnest money back because the house had increased in value by around 50000 before it was even built. And I'm like, this is a thing to watch. If I only I had money to invest in something like this and were an investor, I could probably do that. And so I I got interested in real estate just from being an army wife. And then when the marriage ended and I found myself with nowhere to go, um, I ended up having to move to the last place on earth I ever wanted to move to was D C. That's the only place I could get a job. And it was two thousand and eight. Um I just turned 2009. It was February 2009 when I went up there, and I could afford nothing because those people had not accepted that a housing crisis had happened yet. Sure. Their price, their house prices were still sky high for stuff that, you know, my grandma would be embarrassed to live in. And so I, you know, we stayed in an apartment. I watched Zillow or its equivalent, Realtor.com, whatever it's. I think it used to be called Redfin or something else. I used to watch that every single morning and see what's affordable. What can I get? Nothing, nothing, nothing. So about two years into it, they finally accepted that this had happened and the prices started to drop. And is it a good bet to buy? You know, I kind of want to. But then I remembered base realignment and closure. Fort Belvoir is growing, so I'm not going to live a 100 miles out in the country and commute every day with four kids at home who, frankly, you know, just burst into flames and start spurting blood every day after during rush hour so being stuck in rush hour traffic and being a parent was not an option so I needed to live close and I finally found a place and it turned out to be a really good investment and at that point I was still really focused on my career and getting established and wasn't really paying attention to that as a skill that I had but it is a skill, and I had to take inventory a few years ago. Once I'd finally arrived in my career and gotten the job that I'd been trying to get for 10 years, um, I realized, you know, what am I good at? What What next? What do I want to do? Well, I love my job. I'm very good at my job. I have one of the most fun jobs in the Army, which is writing fake news for military exercises. <laughs> it's super fun. <laughs> and um yeah, I study what Hold the on, adversaries... You
0: mean like legitimate fake news where like when they send you somewhere, they create a scenario when you're like doing a field training or something like that? Or do you mean like fake news the way that we use it with the mainstream media?
1: Actual fake news to support a scenario. Like um, okay. they do training exercises where they come up with these scenarios. Like, yes. okay, commander, here's your problem. You have to cross a yes. bridge in country X and it's a fake name for a country. Yeah. And a, a tropia or somewhere. And you have to cross this bridge and you have to take this this property and you have to do this. And then there will be a CNN report that comes on in his face in the morning or is like a CNN report, not actually CNN, but like like a news report that comes on every morning. that says, oh, this commander is abusing local citizens or whatever. And I write that. I write all that crap.
0: And I I might write.
1: Yeah, I might write a big news report or I might write a. I might or write rebels a, I might are do massing
0: at the gates or you know anything like yeah. that, right? Yeah.
1: yeah, so we escalate this throughout the exercise through things called injects that give them the ability to react to it, get ahead of it, or ignore it at their peril. So sometimes it's a news thing. Sometimes it's a, a Death to America YouTube video that some terrorist makes. I mean, it's all sorts of fun things that I get to do. So this is a fun, fun job, and I love it, but – I got it now. I'm here. I've arrived. What am I going to do next? Yeah. So I was in D.C. and I had the opportunity to get hired by another organization that does kind of the same thing as me, but that, that organization was relocating to Fort Gordon, Georgia. And I've lived here before. I'm from the South. I understand this is another situation with base realignment and closure. So when I started looking at then I started getting serious about learning more about real estate. I started listening to the Bigger Pockets people, and it turns out I'm already doing some of the stuff they they recommend. Like I already had renters in my house. I mean, the more kids would graduate and move out, I'd move my co-workers in. That's mm-hmm. called house hacking, as it turns out. So I'm already doing that. Um, so after getting totally slammed on my taxes after my last kid went off of my tax return and joined the Air Force, um, I realized. I need to get more serious about learning about this. I never thought about being an entrepreneur um, ever. I mean, I was happy in my work. I didn't really think about starting a business until I got hit with a $13,000 tax bill. And I'm like, yeah. holy cow, I better go back into uh, TurboTax and take a closer look at what I might do <laughs> to, to not have this happen. So one of the yeah. things I had to do to not have this happen was um claim my home is – depreciation, get my, get my buddies to sign a lease saying that they have access to the whole property. And I kind of figured it out, sort of. And then I started, um, I realized I'm moving to Georgia. So I started an LLC in Georgia and I decided my plan was I'm going to buy some property down here. I'm going to live on it. and in a few years when the growth catches up to this area, I'll subdivide it. Okay. And I came down here and looked at several properties and had my heart set on one, and then our move got delayed. So I wasn't able to buy it because I wasn't able to sell my house in Virginia. Then um my brother says, I'm sort of interested in this too. He's a baby boomer. He's like 65 years old or something. And he says, I think the more people retire, we're going to see a flattening in the market as these boomers start pulling on their pensions. And I'm like, that's realistic. He says, I'd kind of like to know more about real estate investing, and you seem to do pretty well in it. And, uh, so why don't, why don't I go in with you? So we were able to afford a property that I'd been looking at that I didn't think I could afford. And that's, but it didn't really mesh with what I learned about permaculture. What am I going to do? Bring in a developer to remove all the topsoil and put up a hundred houses? That's profitable, but it's, is it, is it right? Do I even want to live in that kind of neighborhood? No. So I started looking at, what i'd learned about permaculture because i came to that kind of i came to that kind of kind of sideways you know i heard you mention a few weeks ago a lot of keto people find out about permaculture and preparedness and the other way around yeah so i had stopped eating um carbs because i had a coworker who's a former special operations guy who had a whole bunch of brain injuries and his neuro neurosurgeon up at he's his brain injuries were so bad and they didn't even know he had them he was in his retirement year, and they were X-raying his neck because his neck hurt. And they're like, "Holy crap, look at your head!" Yeah. <laughs> and and um, they sent him, they referred him out to a neurologist at Johns Hopkins. And this doctor told him, "You need to be eating a ketogenic diet, or you're going to end up like Muhammad Ali." And he says, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Your brain is made up of fat, and you have to be eating a wide variety of fat." And this doctor recommended this book um, by a journalist about that and he's and my coworker is like so this book is great i'm like wait you read a book
0: oh <laughs> this must
1: work yeah. <laughs> so i went and got the book and i read it and i'm like you know what and after a few weeks my coworker starts saying i feel so much better i'm not angry anymore and this dude was straight up in anger management like he worked mm-hmm. i worked with him but his other job was off in another space he's a green beret and he works with navy seals and they're always like getting pissed off and taking it out of the parking lot and then they have to go to anger management He, he's like I'm not angry anymore I'm like really because I'm pissed off a lot of the time so I'll try it (laughs) and this is yeah so my boss at that time I was a contractor at that point and my boss was a was a dick and I saw him walking down the hall and I'm just like hey man and then I realized wow I'm not mad at him I don't want to kill my boss today. This must really work. And then I started to lose weight. And then about six months into it, took about six months, but six months into it, my joints don't hurt anymore. And I've had horrific joint pain my entire adult life. I was one of those soldiers that was on, you know, 4,000 milligrams of Motrin a day and nothing worked and all the side effects from taking that. And my joints don't hurt. And I've got really bad arthritis. I mean, you can see it on an x-ray. I don't hurt anymore. So I'm like, I'm sticking with this. And then I started wondering, why does it work? Why does this work? So I started doing all this Internet research because I like to do research anyway. I do that for a living. And I found this guy on the Internet named Dr. Berg who's like got all these little short YouTubes on why it works. I found some stuff by Ken Berry. Here's, here's why it works. And I started looking at the Dr. Berg stuff. And he's like, yeah, you need to be eating some some greens more greens like fresh healthy greens like organic greens so i go to whole foods and i'm like this shit is expensive so but i'm like well i can grow flowers and i have this beautiful landscape how about i throw some lettuce in there and see if it works and it did Hmm. and then i started getting into why does how to make my lettuce grow better and how to grow tomatoes and i added this patio my parents were living me with the time they were still alive then and I put in this patio for my dad with raised beds in it, and started planting some stuff in there so that he could, you know, putter around in the in the raised beds. And re-landscaped my backyard when I did the patio to kind of slow the flow of water down. And I really didn't even know about permaculture then, but I I knew there was water shooting through my yard every time it rained, and I was trying to slow it down a little bit. And it ended up in a flower bed. And then I start getting into wow, this is starting to make sense. So I figured out um, I started getting deeper into the permaculture thing or into the gardening thing. Meanwhile, I'm looking at all these things in my feed and I'm looking at how to find pasture raised eggs at not 10 bucks a dozen because I was also, Dr. Berg also said I had to buy pasture raised eggs. I'm like, where do I buy those? And so I'm looking for that. And because I'm searching these two terms, gardening and pasture raised eggs, this guy named Justin Rhodes keeps popping up in my feed. Like, you gotta, you gotta learn about permaculture chickens. And I'm like, alright, finally, after being beat over the head by right. Google, I looked into this permaculture chickens thing and I'm like, holy cow, I'm not allowed to raise chickens here in Fairfax County without paying a chicken permit. And I've got a neighbor who I knew was going to be a big no-go with that. So I started figuring out, well, I'm going to move next year. Maybe I can incorporate chickens into my new property. Maybe I should just learn about this stuff now. So, Then COVID happened and I had a lot more time to learn things. So and do a big garden. My garden in my yard, I produced from a two four by six spots on a terr on this terrace that I did. I produced like thirty gallons of strawberries. Yeah. I was on next door saying, Hey, come pick my strawberries, you know, bring your kids. It's a fun COVID activity to do. And I got people there buying strawberries for me. (laughs) I don't really need the money. I just want to see if it worked. And it did. And Then they get there and they're like, wow, you've started a lot of tomatoes. I'm like, well, we don't know what's going to happen with this COVID thing. Uh, I could sell you some tomato starts. I've got about five different kinds. So they're buying tomato starts for me. So then I started getting interested in market gardening. Like, is this something I could do? Is it it realistic? And a lot of the time I'm looking at these people's videos, I'm thinking, you know, I wish my life had been different. I wish I would married somebody different. I wish this hadn't happened to me. I wish... I wish I were married to somebody like Justin Rhodes who who goes out and works all day and then I could just can food and wah, wah, wah. And, you know, I was learning about composting at the time, and I read a book called Compost Everything by this uh David the Good guy who's fun to watch and and a good writer. He's funny, and he has a shirt called Compost Your Enemies, and I thought at the time, you know, that's a good thing, and then I started thinking – about all this regret that I had and how if only I'd been able to start a small farm, if only I would married somebody different, if only my life would be different when I went And I realized at that point I could compost my regret. Hmm. And that was, that was the big game changer. Regret is a waste stream. It's just shit. And you can compost that shit. <laughs> you can turn it into something good. You can compost your pain. You can compost your anger. You can compost your regret. They're all just waste streams in your psyche. So about that time, I got, um, it was COVID going on. There was nothing for me to do at work. They gave me a project to do. I finished it in like a week. And then I'm supposed to telework and I'm like reading things. And I signed up for this uh, Justin Rhodes seminar where Joel Salatin was going to be there on his property talking about property design. And I'm like, that's exactly what I need. So I signed up, and I went through it, and I started talking about this idea I had for this property in Georgia. And, you know, don't get me wrong. They didn't give me the idea, but Joel Salatin looked me in the face and said, that's a great idea. He said, in fact, I've had some billionaires – and he said this on the air since, so I don't feel bad about saying it. But he says, I've had some billionaires contact me to do a billionaire bunker where I run their small farm system and design it for them. And I'm like, I could add a farmer to my subdivision. And all these farmers that I look at on YouTube, all these market gardeners and people doing, you know, small scale farming and market gardening, not necessarily the homesteaders, but the business people that are doing this. I'm like, look at all the startup costs they have. I'm watching a guy on YouTube with 200,000 followers complaining that he can't afford a skid steer. And I'm like, what if I bought him a skid steer? What if I built him a barn-dominium to live in? What if he had no mortgage? What if he had no startup costs? What if we designed this property to produce food? And the property that we ended up with is a 23-acre lakefront peninsula in the middle of Clarksville Lake, which is a 70,000-acre lake, bass tournament-quality lake. A lot of all you fishermen show up here every spring. My cove is very popular for fishermen, by the way. So come out and pay us a visit sometime. We've got a heron out there, and you know where the heron is. That's a good place to fish. So every morning that heron looks at me. Um, so we ended up with this property, but the neck of the property is not waterfront. I'm like, well, I'm trying to figure out how many waterfront lots I can get. I want them to be an acre. I don't want them yeah. to be. I don't want them to be too small. I don't want to cram a bunch sure. of people into this peninsula. You don't move out
0: to the country to live on top of your neighbor. Right. Even I mean, in my brother community. was like, good the I mean, people say good fences make good neighbors, good lot sizes. Yeah, especially because if I don't really like what my neighbors doing, but <laughs> they're way over there, I don't really care, but if I don't like what my neighbors doing and I can spit and hit their house out of my window, I kind of care.
1: Yeah, so I started designing <laughs> a neighborhood for somebody like me. I'm 50 years old. I saw my parents when they retire move back to the family farm and within maybe 10 years that four acre garden was too much for my dad to do. Now my dad was healthy and he was a strong man and in good shape, but when he turned 80 years old, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, I'm going to have to rent a wood splitter this year. I guess no. I'm old.
0: <laughs> Man, you should have rented a wood splitter when you were fifty. But you'd feel better while you're old if you've been using a wood splitter since you were fifty, right? Yeah. But
1: he loved to split firewood, he loved his garden and yeah. he you know, it was a beautiful place out there and that place <laughs> has been in my family for three hundred years, but it's surrounded by my cousin's property and yeah. they're never gonna manage their property the way I want. Yeah. And the neighborhood around that has kind of deteriorated. That mill farm that my grandfather ran, that mill shut down in the 60s, and those people stayed with no job. Disability is the main employer, and
0: it seen, makes for some. I've seen the results of that in many towns I've driven through. You can look at it, there used to be something here, and it's completely, yeah. you know, filling in on itself. And the whole disability is an income. The place I'm from in rural Pennsylvania, it's a goal. Getting on disability is a life goal for the average person. They literally call it being retired. Right? Because I've talked to people that I went to school with. They're like, I'm retired now. You couldn't add two plus two? What the hell did you do to get on retirement by 50? And they're like, oh, I'm on disability. Okay, you're not retired. You're on disability. But that's like a retirement plan. It's sad to see, you know, neighborhoods and and entire regions go that way. And you know what comes next, meth, right? You can't, disability is the main income stream and then you get meth. That's, or, or or heroin now like I this is off topic but it, if you would have told me when I was twenty something bottom end of twenty something especially that you will see a day where heroin returns as a mainstream drug I would have thought you were on heroin and crack and PCP at the same time like because that was like even when I was a kid and the kids you knew that did, 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 did drugs and stuff if you would have said hey you want some heroin they'd be like no yeah, 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 And that's it's you know, it's everywhere now.
1: Yeah. I mean that the parent the grandparents are on disability, the kids are in prison, and the grandchildren are just being raised by wolves. Yeah. Um when I was homeless and unemployed after our divorce with um or during the divorce with my kids, we had to move back there for a while. And you know, we'd lived in Korea, we'd lived in different places, and I told them, Okay, I had to give them the culture brief for this place too. Um things are different here. Um I'm going to have to make sure I know the people you spend the night with or go to parties with. Um, It's not like we all live in the same community with people we know, like on the military base over in Korea. Um, We've got things going on around here. I was substitute teaching at the high school. Um, That was one of the things I did for money at that point. And the kids, you know, I noticed the immigrant kids are sharp. They're there to learn. They want to succeed. But yeah. the kids from who are being raised by disability grandma are, you know, no one has paid attention to them.
0: No, I agree.
1: And it's sad. So designing my community, designing a community for me, because I started writing down all the things I want. I heard you say this a while back, and it made perfect sense because I did the same thing. What if I had, I thought, what if I had $5 million? What do I do? What would I do with it? And then I thought, what if I had 10 billion dollars? What would I do with it? Would I travel? I don't know. I've been to Europe for my job. I've been to Italy and Germany. I've lived in Germany. I've lived over in Asia. Probably not. I mean, just a few things I'd still like to see. But would I um what would I do with it? I'd take care of my family. I'd take care of my kids. I would give my kids somewhere safe to come back to. I have four grown daughters and two grandkids now and one of them just went through that thing in Fort Myers, Florida. And, you know, she's the one that doesn't listen to me by the way. So yeah. I told her before that started, you better have water in your bathtub. You're your washing machine.
0: You better get out. That was the, the yeah. of action was leave. That was, and that was something they yeah. didn't really know until the end when it made the final hook. But that's happened in that area multiple times where they, they've said storm tracks are going to go up and hit the Panhandle and it gets, Right about the Fort, Fort Lee, Fort Myers area. And it just, it's almost like there's some vortex that pulls those storms in. The last really big one was Charlie. It cut an, uh, North Captiva ended up being North Captiva and North North Captiva because Charlie cut it in half. It literally, yeah, cut. the island was a couple hundred yards wide at that point, but it sawed it in half. And so absolutely. that's absolutely yeah that's nature's might let's let's dig more into your development though because I've had you on forty four minutes now we really don't know much about it other than it's it's fairly large. What are you developing and how are you, what's the 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 process you're you're taking there?
1: well, the advantages of developing in the path of growth like our area Fort Gordon is growing pretty rapidly with high you know high paying tech jobs we've got several different agencies on post and they're all cyber tech related and there's those guys and there's the community that supports them that's also in that same genre of, of white collar, you know, six income, double income sometimes, six income people. So the advantages are you buy something for less and you sell it for more, basically, because your community's growing around you. Now it doesn't always happen at once, like COVID delayed our hiring by about almost two years. There was a hurricane down here a few years ago that delayed the building, which delayed the hiring. So some investors just got chicken and said, well, Fort Gordon's never going to grow. We've been waiting for years, and they just bailed. But, the, I mean, you have to be patient. But the advantages are you do get a return on your investment. The disadvantages are your zoning and planning boards are going through a transition, and they're trying to figure out how to do new growth. And sometimes if you're a new developer like me who's never done this before, they're likely to say no to everything you say. So the important thing for me was doing my research online before I came here and looking at the minutes from the zoning meetings, and from the zoning meetings especially, in the planning and development meetings. And this is a tip I got from somebody um, who said, check out the permit submissions for building. And I looked on the site where they do the permit submissions, and there's these engineering firms. So one engineering firm never got rejected. So I called them, and I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing a development. And they said, good thing you called us. We're the very best. And I said, great. So I showed them the property. I said, how many one-acre lots do you think you could get off of this peninsula? And they said – they looked at it, and they came back. They did a plan, which I have to pay for, by the way. But they said 10 or 12. They said 12. We think we can get 12. Well, two of them were down near the entrance, and those aren't necessarily waterfront.
0: Yeah.
1: They said, do you want to include this property as well that's near the entrance? And I said, you know, it's not waterfront. It's not going to test for septic. It's got some soil issues. I think the best thing to do with that is to make that our horticultural space, but it's the it entrance it to the blocker. neighborhood.
0: It makes it yeah. a phosphorus to all the houses, right? Yeah.
1: It does. So you drive in, you see a, it has to be a beautiful barn dominium. There has to be, you know, some stone columns and it has to look sharp, but And things I've learned about permaculture from like stuff you talk about, water storage, wicking beds. Those don't have to be IBC totes, y'all. Those can be stone terraces and waterfalls and we can bring in the pond guy and other people to make this look really great. I follow his channel too, so. You know what it
0: looks, you know what it looks like when you surround IBCs with stone? It looks like stone. Oh yeah. Right. It could be anything inside there, right? Yeah.
1: It does. We're going to probably put these in on terrace to follow the path of, because it's, it's slopey and it's contoury. Yep. So there's no point in putting a lot of geometrics in there. Where we can use that slope, yeah. but you know, you store the water uphill, you move it downhill. You have some beautiful systems for where, you know, you can turn the fountains on when people drive in for events or whatnot. And there's another place over there that I'm going to put. Um, so I figured out where I'm going to put my community event center. Which is actually a revenue generator because people pay a lot of money to have their wedding at the lake. So, but that's an inconvenience for the residents. So I was looking at the whole HOA thing, you know, I was looking at some other neighborhoods. You kind of want one as an investor, but you hate them as a, as a resident. I'm going to pay somebody to tell me what color to paint my front door. No. So how do we make this something that people want? and I just seen Jeff Lawton talk about his Echo community, and he's talking about these covenants, and I'm like, sounds like Jeff Lawton has an HOA, kind of. But everybody wants to live in Jeff Lawton's Echo Village, right? So how do I make mine a little more like that? So I figure the revenue from the clubhouse and the event center can actually be paid back as dividends to the residents. So now your HOA pays you. What else can I do with that money? Well... I can put permaculture systems in yards because I had a beautiful permaculture based landscape in Virginia where Karen is walking by my house saying, what are those plants between your roses? And I'm like, that's lettuce, Karen. <laughs> it's pretty. She says, I thought lettuce was round and grew in rows. I'm like, no, yeah. there's about a thousand kinds and most of them yeah. are pretty. So I had a beautiful front yard with, I mean, When COVID happened, I planted about a 1,000 beets in my front yard, and everybody's like, what are those? They're so pretty (laughs) because they're surrounded by roses and shrubberies and other things. Nobody knows they're beets. Sweet potatoes along my driveway trimmed up into a nice little shape. Nobody knows. So you can do these things in people's yards, and if you're my age, you're not, you know. Some people my age look at the homestead channels, and they look at that stuff, and they say, I wish I could, but I can't like my spouse is not going to live out in the middle of nowhere or I can't have a bunch of IBC totes in my yard. My spouse will lose their mind or I can't make everything out of pallets. You know, I can't do that. So I just sawed up some pallets this weekend, by the way. So <laughs> I actually have. But um some people are in situations where they want to live more like this, but they just they there's something holding them back. They can't, or maybe they have a physical condition. I mean, I'm setting up my entire neighborhood to be handicapped accessible because I saw what it, I've been in a wheelchair for three months when I broke my foot. It was awful. Nothing there was a lot of waste to not get around and get messed up in a wheelchair. My dad um, died last year um, trying to get him in and out of places in a wheelchair at age 93. That wasn't easy, but he would have loved a place like this. And some of the design constraints that we have are actually great because the more, you know, the more constraints you have, the more eloquent your design. So being able to work with the Corps of Engineers owns the lake. So of course they're my neighbor. One of my other neighbors is a state park. So that's not a problem. They're, they're nice people. Except when my dog gets out there, they can be jerks when my dog gets out over there. But, Being able to, um, the core, for example, wants me to keep a buffer around the neighborhood, an eight-foot buffer, because they don't want to deal with individual dock owners. So the neighborhood has two docks already pre-permitted, a permitted swimming beach, and a boat ramp. So that's what I get. So how do I manage this buffer around the neighborhood? That's awkward. So actually, the buffer around the neighborhood ends up at the top of the slope in just the right place to put a swale in just the right place to put a running trail. So this is going to be a two-foot deep full of wood chip, and I have three 300 tons of wood chips and more on the way. I kept my wood chips after some logging was done initially. And so this trail that runs around the neighborhood is going to be an orchard system, a food system, and an access path for everybody to use from their backyard to get to the lake. They can take their golf cart out there. They can take their wheelchair on it. They can walk their dog on it, they can take their horse on it, or they can just run on a nice spongy wood chippy surface, which is much nicer than running on asphalt. And knowing a little bit about permaculture has made this property, some of the things that seemed not right about it, seem great. So, I mean, everybody gets a stunning view of the water. Everybody gets access to two sides of the lake. I mean, the house, we've got three lots for sale right now and you can see both sides of the water from these houses. So, it's, it's the kind of place where, plus you can do as much as you want here. Yeah, you can have chickens in your backyard here. Um, you want to do a Justin Rhodes pig port in your backyard? We'll teach you how to do that. That's, that's doable. Um, we do have, we'll have some neighborhood small livestock, small scale livestock. The farmer that we hire is getting a real head start in life and I've got my eye on a few of them. I want to be able to build the barn dominion before I start recruiting because it's a recruiting incentive for sure. Yeah. So, that's um that's kind of the idea. So the idea came to me, you know, it's something that more people are interested in, but not everybody can do. I mean, I can't be a homesteader in the middle of nowhere. I can't. I'm by myself. I'm only getting older. Um,
0: I've well, seen I think what it's like to run so a many, chainsaw. I think that's true of so many people, and I think it's why the type of development you're talking about is, is so necessary and needed now. And, you know, people say it's expensive. It's expensive to buy a house, period. So why not buy a house where you want it? Now, one thing I want to ask you: you mentioned like these ten lakefront lots, but you also mentioned I think you said the whole property was twenty-seven acres or something. Twenty-three acres, yeah. 20, Twenty-three acres. So, is it only waterfront lots, or like are those like the premier lots, and then you're, you're going to have other lots? I mean, that would be. They're all. It's
1: only waterfront lots. This neighborhood will have maximum twelve homes in it, and two of those okay. are not for sale. Two of those, I mean, one of them's mine, so I'm not selling right. you mine, but. Yeah. Two of them are actually going to be vacation rentals that aren't on the water, that are sort of behind the barn, but they can still see the water. So I'm only selling the waterfront lots. But um, the other acres, the other acreage in the neighborhood is green space. It's okay. food, it's food production and it's some of the things we do with small scale livestock management. Um, I have uh, permission from the power company. We have a electric co op out here where their decision-making process is dude who comes out to talk to you, not like Georgia Power, who's, you know, you have to go through lawyers and whatnot. So I said, hey, can I graze some small animals on this easement? I've got about 10 acres of easement. And he's like, yeah, why not? I don't want to have to cut it. (laughs) Because I would have to cut it anyway, because it's my power easement. So he's like, yeah, sure, we don't care. It'd be nice to have some sheep out there. So small-scale livestock, there's plenty of farmland nearby to lease as well. And about 700 acres of Corps of Engineer land to hunt on. There's plenty uh-huh. of hunting out here. You can literally sit on your back porch and pop off some deer. And I've had some hunters out here this weekend, some dudes I work with who got a buck. And they said that wasn't the biggest one they saw. So
0: <laughs> well, they built my chicken coop. That, that's very cool. Um, so let me understand how this will work then. Are you selling a lot and then the person builds? Or are you building and then selling the house? How are you going to handle taking residents on?
1: We're doing a combination of both. Now we have three lots listed right now and we're not listing anymore for four and a half years because I want that area growth to catch up with us.
0: Okay.
1: So the three lots that are listed right now, we have one under contract and we'll see how that works. So you know, I don't believe in anything until I sign the line, but that's under contract right now. They look like solid people. Um, one, I've had a builder approach me and say, hey, can I build on that one? And, yeah, you can. So nobody's bought that house yet. It's a builder who wants to buy it and sell it. And then the We're third not. lot is still up for grabs. So be flexible. You know, find a builder that you trust. Um, find some people that, you know, find people in your network that are interested Um you don't have to build. I mean, if I were looking at this cyber neighborhood for myself, and I were still up in Virginia and couldn't move here yet, I would invest. I mean, I would buy a lot with my self-directed IRA and not live on it, because you can't live on it till you're fifty-nine and a half. But you can build a house on it and rent it out as long as you got a property manager. So, and we have a rental. We have a rental situation down here, which is really fantastic, where we have. We have um, a thing called Master's Week that comes to Augusta, Georgia every year where people can rent their houses out for upwards of 20000 bucks. So that's a nice thing to do. Go on vacation once a year. Rent your house out. In fact, if I had a permanent tenant in my house, I'd just say, hey, here's a 1000 bucks to go on vacation this week. Bye.
0: Yeah. And you.
1: Get, the, get the Master's Week crowd in there. So that's a nice revenue stream around here as well as the golf folks.
0: And how can folks learn more about your development and find out if there's a lot, maybe it's one lot, sounds like one lot available right now. Uh, How can people find out about that and what you're doing?
1: You can check out our website. It is thepointclarkshill.com. And it's got um, some contact buttons on there. I'd use the email contact button. I don't always have my cell phone at work because of where I work. So it's better to email. The email address is on there down at the bottom on the contacts. And, Check out the development plan while you're there. Look at the plats. The plats is up there on the site. There's some nice photos. And just learn more about the area. Columbia County is a great area to live in. Evans, Georgia is uh, voted one of the best places to live in America in 2020. I think it was the best place to live in America in 2020. It's only about 10 miles down the road. You're close enough to civilization here to be convenient, but you're far enough out to still enjoy that beautiful big lake view and the nice country driving to work every morning. It's nothing like
0: commuting in DC for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. One thing about lakes is nobody builds on a lake, like on the water part. So if you, if you border a lake, you can look out and see, there'll be no houses on the water unless somebody drives their houseboat by. Like you're not going to have development behind you. Like every place I've ever bought, I've always taken a really good look at, okay, where does my property line end and what is the potential for development on the other side? And there's been places I haven't bought because I'm like, when somebody buys that, they're going to build right there. And I'm going to have somebody basically looking, you know, if it's a hill up, they're going to be looking into my backyard. And when you're on water, that, that's just not going to happen. And then if you have additional land that is a Corps of Engineers and things like that, you're not going to have that either. So very, very cool. Uh, I will have links to your website, your Facebook, your Instagram, all the stuff you sent me uh, in your app in the show notes today, and I appreciate you for being with us today.
1: Thanks so much. It's been great.
0: Well, with that wrapped up, let's go ahead and remind you guys how you can help support the Survival Podcast and the work that we do. A couple of ways to do that. One would be do your online shopping beginning at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z. Tspaz.com. Um you can find all the stuff that I recommend, and everything I recommend is something I own, I use, I, I bought it with my own money, I would buy it again, or it's not there. But no matter what you buy, and apparently there's some kind of big sale going on over at the Amazon world right now, no matter what you buy, as long as you start your shopping at tspaz.com, you help us out no matter what you buy. Now let me tell you about the item today, it's the same one as yesterday, so I'll go real quick with it, but it's a book by a guy named Fred Pierce. It's called The New Wild, Why Invasive Species Will Be Nature's Salvation. Um, Again, I just want to reiterate, I think this is a fascinating subject. The book is a good read. It's an education on a, a part of environmentalism that really needed a work like this. But what it more is, is a way to train your brain to the pattern recognition That has become the modus operandi of that which masquerades as science in 2022. If you read this book, you will become an expert at deciphering scientific bullshit even more. I know some of you are like, I already got that. You have no idea. The door that this will open for you, and understanding how things get repeated in, in, in study after study after study, but nobody ever actually did the thing that 's it's, it's in the study, and then somebody cites the legitimate study with the illegitimate claim, and then somebody else does it and somebody else, and then everybody knows, and nobody 's ever proven it. There's so many examples of that in this book. It's, it's literally amazing. And it's a great read. And it'll change the way you look at ecology as a permaculturist and someone's concerned with sustainable development, regenerative agriculture, what have you. Uh, and next up, the other way you can do uh, support this show is become a member of the MSB. If you've never looked into it, just go to the survivalpodcast.com and, and click on members or slash members, either way. And if you do that, you'll find out all the cool discounts that you get and all the other benefits you get for a, a measly 50 bucks a year. 50 bucks a year, support the show at about $0.20 cents an episode, guys, and you will be able to uh, get all those discounts and get your money back. The other way you can support us, try listening to us on a podcasting 2.0 app like Fountain.fm, and then you can stream us sats, you can do all kinds of other cool stuff, and remember... Remember, something's coming kind of cool next week, and you'll have to be using that if you want to participate in it. And when you find out what it is, and you ain't ready to go, and I put the thing up for sale, and it's the first 10 emails to come in, and you don't get to be one of them, you're going to be sad. That's all I can say. With that, I've wrapped things up. I want to, again, thank you for tuning in today. Remember, tomorrow we are going to talk about a master's course. In Statist Jiu-Jitsu with the Just Jack Show, then the Expert Council Show will round out the week. And one more real quick announcement. I have the guest form back on the website. Would you like to be on the Survival Podcast? Would you like to be our guest? Would you, do you have something interesting to talk to our audience about? If so, get on the site, click on Guests. So the survivalpodcast.com. Click on Guest, fill out the form. Uh, if you want to talk about Bitcoin, you know, you can apply to be on a Bitcoin breakout show. Uh, you can use either form for that. There's a form on both the Bitcoin breakout and the survivalpodcast.com With that, it's been Jack Spierko, uh with another episode of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. They pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down.